Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. You're listening to Comedy Central. Hey, welcome to Beyond the Scenes, the podcast that goes deeper into topics and segments that originally aired on The Daily Show. This is what you got to think of this podcast as, right? Like if The Daily Show is the reality show, we're the reunion show where we all get to come together and talk about never before seen action. You know, that of course sets the record straight. Dramatic cuts. Today, we're talking about K-pop and how this isn't an industry that just started booming. This has been a profitable market for decades with bands like BTS and Blackpink and global fandom that helps South Korea in both the entertainment and economic sectors. Give it a clip. The next big step towards today's K-pop was in the 1990s when major music studios started putting performers together in boy and girl bands. That's right, Korea was doing that long before Simon Cowell's nips ever started poking through his t-shirts. That's a no from me, dog. It's no surprise this new wave of K-pop blew up around the world. It featured complex melodies unlike any other pop music and always had next level dance choreography. To this day, those remain the signature elements of K-pop. That and being Asian, very important requirement. This new generation of K-pop stars became so successful, the government started to take notice and soon launched a program to promote Korean music around the globe. They saw K-pop as a way to boost Korea's cultural strength and economy without having to do a squid game. To help us break this down a little bit more in the beautiful, beautiful Beyond the Scenes mothership, I'm joined by Daily Show segment producer, Sabrina Lee. Sabrina, hello. Hi, Roy. Thanks for having me. That's my that's my NPR voice. How are you doing today, Love your Sabrina? NPR voice. We're here to discuss <laughs> Korean pop music. Yes. Are you ready for a moving yes. discussion about Korean pop music? I am very ready. And they just start, the NPR, they just start trailing <laughs> off. Now I'm into my ASMR voice. <laughs> <laughs> also joining us is a postdoctoral associate at the University of Buffalo in their Asian Studies program. Stephanie Choi is here. Stephanie, how are you doing? Good. Thanks for having me. Let's get into this. Now, you all both grew up in South Korea, and I would assume that you are both early K-pop fans. Uh, Sabrina, I'll start with you. Speak to me about the impact of K-pop on your life. Like, the only thing I can even try and compare it to to even attempt to understand, like, what that music means for your country is just what hip-hop meant for black culture in the 90s, where it just... It was me, it was us, it was blackness, right, right, it was right. everything that like, oh my God, they're into that, I'm into that, you're into that, right. we're into it, we're doing dances. Like, what was that like when you were younger, growing up in South Korea? I think that's a really good comparison because it really was part of my huge identity and then like that's all I would talk about with my friends. 
and I actually thought about this yesterday while I was preparing, like at school, we would have this desk and I would have like stickers of my, my group, my idol, and then like would put them on my desk and then I would mm-hmm. put them on like my books, on my, like my pencils, you know, like I was obsessed with them and that's all I would talk about. And I was very proud to be part of like that fan club. Mm-hmm. Now my group was um, TVXQ okay. in English. In Korean, they're called Dongbangshinggi. They're like the second generation of K-pop idol when K-pop was going to like Japan and then like other countries like in Asia, not Europe or America at this time. But for that, I think that's when it kind of started. So I was like very proud to be part of that because mm-hmm. I always felt like like oh like this is my group and like I am raising them. Like I think that's what <laughs> a lot of like K-pop fans feel like like. Not like motherly feeling, but like I am raising this people, and then like I want everyone to know about my group because they're they're great, you know. The thing I always found interesting about K-pop, just as an outsider, and of course I was not aware of K-pop until well into my late twenties and thirties. But as an outsider, it was wow, these kids are all the same age as all the kids that read. like New Edition was always just a little bit older. Yeah, you know they were the same thing with New Kids on the Block and Sync. They were always just three, four years older than me. So it's like, oh, that's what I want to be. That's who you want to be. But it's like, it seemed like it was almost as if witnessing the matriculation of your peers, which made it easier to root for them in a way. Mm -hmm. Like Stephanie, for you, what was your introduction into that world? When I was young, I'm the the first generation. Uh, I, everyone loved H.O.T. And I was one of them, you know, like everyone loves H.O.T. So like you, join that you are you know naturally introduced to it through your friends and then you know i had this teenage year when you know you feel like you're special so oh no more k-pop for me but it was more like korean rock you know um so i I spent the whole middle and high school years um chasing after this rock group and then it was actually after i entered my MA program uh, here in the States. Uh, by then, I was already in my late 20s. And um, American K-pop fans came up to me, you know, oh, I heard that you're from Korea. And, you know, like, have you heard of Big Bang? Have you heard of Girls' Generation? And I was like, that's for teenagers, right? But then <laughs> I realized that, oh, wow, like, these adult fans are really you know into k-pop so i got into k-pop pretty late and while i was doing my phd you know like in fandom studies they suggest you to become a fan by yourself and i was like how can i become a fan you know you have to it's it's not like you can be a fan through by by trying you know to be a fan so i was I was kind of trying, you know, I was um, following, you know, Girls' Generation and then uh, some other groups. And then, you know, it came in, in Korea, in Korean, it's called the Tok It's a combination word of, of um, fan activity, you know, fanning and car accident. So it comes like a car accident. All of a sudden, you know, you just become a fan. And I got into EXO so bad 
and it's been already nine years, I guess. Um, so it's my heart for Kai and Baekhyun. <laughs> like everyone has Baekhyun in their heart. Um, it's getting bigger and bigger. I'm a huge fan of EXO and also SHINee. I'm mostly a fan of SM entertainment. How has K-pop, in my opinion, in a way that other music genres has not been able to do, is really plug into their fan base and get their fan base to really be active. Like, it just break down these tiers of fandom. Because, like, the only thing, again, that I can compare it to, I remember back in the day, if I really liked Boys to Men, I could write a letter to Jive Records, <laughs> and they would send back a poster and go, right. yay, Roy, enjoy the Boys to Men poster. Yay, <laughs> you're a fan. Like, all I need to be a fan was a, was a poster from a magazine. I'd get right. the source or... Or right on, that's a deep cut that only specific black people over 40 are going to get. But you would get a poster, and that was it. You were right. a fan. That was it. It wasn't this whole fucking airline frequent flyer, right. gold, silver, medallion, tears. Break break that down for us real quick, Stephanie. And, and, and let me know as well, Sabrina, like, how did that make you want to be more of a fan? Like, is right. it bragging rights or whatever? But just break that down for us first, Stephanie. It's really connected to the participatory culture of Korean popular music scene. Um, but if we look at the current scene, I would say um, the relationship is really, the relationship between K-pop idols and fans are really centered around the, the transaction of intimacy. So you basically maintain, both parties are trying really hard to maintain this um, exclusive relationship uh, between the two. So there are many different marketing strategies there. Uh, one is to understand each other through persona. So you understand idols as you know the, the group persona. So for BTS, it would be, you know, you understand them as BTS members. The BTS members, on the other hand, would understand fans not as individuals who are total strangers to them, but through the fan persona, the fandom persona. So they, you know, once they meet these individuals, they would understand them as BTS armies, exclusive, intimate relationships. Right. So when you became a fan, like, and you sign up per se, mm -hmm. does that create a sense of bragging rights? To your, to your to your friends and your classmates. Yes. Um, also, then you also feel like you're part of this huge group, you know, other than your family or like your school. You know what I mm -hmm. mean? It's like joining like a different friend group that's so big that's like obviously it's on the Internet. But, you know, like you just talked about Boys to Men. Did you guys have like a name for the fans who no. love Boys to Men? But that's no. the thing. I think that's very unique for K-pop. Like right now we have Bleebers for... Justin Bieber, like yeah. Swifties for Taylor Swift, but like a lot of these, I mean, not a lot, almost every K-pop and their fan club, fandom, I think that's what they call it these days. Mm -hmm. Back in our days, Stephanie and my days, we call it fan club, but I think now it's so global and international, they call it fandom. But anyway, like all of this fan club has a name. So like it has its own identity. You know, it's not even only the name, they also have, like each group has their own color. So my group, the TBXQ, our balloon colors was pearl red so everyone all the fans if you go to concerts or if you go to this like music programs in korea like in the broadcast like stations you would wear pearl red and you or you would hold like the balloons that's pearl red you know what i mean okay. so it's everyone has a very strong identity 
I think that's very easy. Yeah, that's definitely not American. Right. And then you talked about the tiers. When I joined the TVXQ fan club, I would join it. And it's like earning miles for airlines. So I would have to take this quiz. And it will, the quiz questions were like so absurd. It would be like, what would be this member's like childhood pet's name? And if I don't get it right, I won't, I will not be able to go to the next tier of this fan club. Like this is a fan page. How devastating is that? So devastating. So I would be like, while I need to study, you know, for my school stuff, I'll be studying my idol group and like their childhood and like Googling and all this stuff. And I will be getting all these quizzes <laughs> right. And I will make it to the next tier. So you become like almost addicted to it. You know what I mean? Cause like yeah. you get it right. And the perks to that, then you would be able to see these exclusive photos that you won't, you weren't able to see when you were like the tier below. So it's not even paywalled. It's just proved to me your loyalty and true it's a reward loyalty system. And true love. Like, are you, how obsessed are you? Can you prove it? You know, like, and I was truly obsessed with that. That's beautiful. That's low key some pre-social media level marketing and in terms of rewarding people and not even in a bad way, just the idea of. I'm going to reward you a little bit. I had to get a yes, little more. Yes, exactly. I had to get, I had to get a little more. Because back then, like for first generation K-pop and second generation K-pop, we didn't have social media. So like these members of K-pop groups weren't able to go on Twitter and talk to directly to the fans or like go on Instagram live and talk to the fans directly. So mm-hmm. I think that was like our way, my way to like, I'm not having a real conversation, but I feel like I am because I'm learning so much about that. I'm proving my like devoted love for them. Yeah, you know, so that's why I think it kept me going. At the same time, you know, when when you take all those quizzes and get into that community, it's a it's an extremely closed community. So yeah. you have this very exclusive communication with your idol. You know, not you don't have to deal with haters or antis or reporters who might be you know uh, hiding somewhere. And lurking there, you know, looking for some some scandals or rumors or some conflicts between fans or between idols and fans. But at the same time, it also gave more privilege to Korean fans because you know these quizzes were changing every week or twice a week. So like you have to keep up with it. And international you fans really do. had to translate it. And yeah. by the time they translate it the set of quizzes were already, you know, changed to a new one. Nowadays, I think a lot of them have changed to just, you know, through payment, you earn membership. Wow, is that right? Yeah, yeah. Most of the time, yeah. Now, Stephanie, the depth to which you can speak to this goes really, really far because you wrote a dissertation on K-pop fandom and the intricacies of it what made you go this is interesting like if, was it was it the marketing aspect of it was it the human connection and the familial aspect of it what made you go oh that's interesting let me keep it because you know journalists and professors and educators you find a thread and you just keep pulling at it and pulling at it and pulling at it <laughs> what was it about k-pop fandom where you went yes i need to know more about this phenomenon the first thing that i found interesting was how many protests that were going on within the K-pop fandom. And it was, you know, every time some idol gets married or, you know, do something, you know, wrong or crime related, these fans would uh, protest against their own favorite idol. Uh, and 
the mass media would describe them as crazy fangirls. But at the same time, what was fascinating was that the company and idols were readily accepting their request. Um, so I, I found it interesting how, you know, like from the outside, they look delusional, you know, disorganized, hysterical, like these are the crazy fangirls. Um, but at the same time, the way the company and idols reacted was more like, you know, there's some sort of rules and norms that the outsiders wouldn't know. Um, so I started from there and then found out that these female fans are actually, they have a long history of organizing their own fandom. They are very active at um, political and cultural and um, social issues. Um, they are very well organized. Um, they know how to make their voice and they know how to negotiate. So yeah, that was the starting point. The dissertation is titled Gender, Labor, and the Commodification of Intimacy in K-Pop. How much do the artists and the record labels, essentially the labels who control the artists, and that's global, I'm not, that's not a criticism of K-pop, the, the, the labels control the artists and music and all of music. How much does the influence of the fans, how much of it is constructive criticism versus, nah, man, y'all wildin'. If that's who he wants to date, that's who he can date. You're not gonna tell the K-pop group member who he should and shouldn't be dating. Or does that go into like if we just if we really want to get into the weeds here, does the label pull this person aside and go, hey, uh, kind of don't need to date that person because it's going to mess up the ticket sales for the next year. Could you keep that relationship on the low or if you're going to be with her, tell her to dress different because it's scaring the fans. It's not about dating per se. I would like to make that clear. It's not about the dating itself, but it's more about how fans want to get back of what they have invested in. So a lot of fans these days perform as promoters of their own idols. The idol market is so saturated, so competitive. You want to promote your idols out there so that you can also, you know, uh, make your idol famous and popular and eventually get more profit. And that would lead to a better production for their uh, next album. Um, and then you, you know, in return, you get better um, quality of uh, performing production mm -hmm. uh, next time. So that's the that's the K-pop system. So the difference between uh, idols and non-idol musicians is that idols basically perform uh, fan service. So you not only perform music. And dance, but you also provide uh, some sort of fantasy to your fans, assuming that you're in this, you know, intimate relationship with your fans. If I could make an American comparison, it would be Justin Timberlake and Britney Spears. When they were dating, it was like the beautiful unification of two fan bases. Oh, it's the greatest thing ever. And then when they broke up, they were like, oh no. Yeah. And Timberlake took a hit for a second because. He broke up with Britney. How could you do that to Britney? I'm not a fan of your music anymore. So I, I, I know it's not a one-to-one -one in terms of American, American music to K-pop, but just the idea of how much influence do the fans have on the evolution of, 
of an artist's career in K-pop? The idol-fan relationship in K-pop is really centered around this idea of, you know, in, in terms of male idols and female fans, for instance, it would be, you know, the male idols would be the boyfriend, uh, female fans would be the girlfriend. And if you look at the, all the video promotions and song productions, you'll see that it's quite um, uh, promoted based on that logic. So historically, if you look at the whole generation starting from the 1990s, it really prioritized idols' chastity uh, in public. So nowadays, you know, there's social media, you fans already know who's dating who. You know, there's no secret. They just close their eyes. <laughs> yeah, they just close their eyes. Compare the fan bases, because it, 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 it's sounding like y'all are like way bigger on being connected with the artists than Americans have ever been. There is no great musician that has had a fan base that I feel like is just wild than Michael Jackson. And I can't think of a name of any, like nobody was called the Jacksons, the Jacksoneers, <laughs> the Glitter Gloves. Like, they didn't like, have their own color. Yeah, the Neverlanders, like like right. nothing. No, there was no colors. There... You just show up to Michael Jackson concert and faint. Actually, there was Beatlemania. Beatlemania, oh, yes. Yeah. But since then, it's it's not a regular occurrence. Uh, like, because I, I wonder if Beatlemania was more of the state of everyone being crazy about the yeah. Beatles, or did it instantly identify with it? Well, no, yeah, Beatlemania is probably the closest that we've had yeah. to anything in a long ass time. You know, I would argue. But how how would you all compare the fan bases, uh, Sabrina? I'll start with you. Like in terms of. Korean K-pop fans versus American K-pop fans. Are we getting there? Or are we still behind the curve like we are? I in mean, soccer? I think Swifties are there. Like, do they? I don't think they have their own color, but like they're obsessed with her, and like they like, like you know, I saw these trends. Every time she posts something, they like dissect every object in that video and think like, oh, this clock said it's five o'clock, so like the next album's coming out on like May fifth. You know, like they go crazy like that. <laughs> but bullied it, that's Ticketmaster to talking to Congress. But I know, but like that's exactly what I think these K-pop fans do as well. So I think Taylor Swift, very specifically to her, I think the kind of culture exists here. Mm-hmm. And I can't speak to like the American fans who love K-pop because I'm not American and I love K-pop because it was the only pop I knew, you know, mm-hmm. when I was in Korea. But like you said, it's so the personal identity of this each fan club is so strong. And there's also like competition between other fan clubs like, oh, I'm going to make my idol sell this much album like for you know for the new release i'm gonna buy 10 and and then my friend would be like well i'm gonna buy 20 for my idol you know it's like a competition between them too and since it's so personal like that and then like i told you like i have to take all these stupid quizzes to make it to the next tier i i spent so much time to it and i think that's where this intimacy or i think it's intimacy that i have a real relationship with these idols which i don't but that's what i think i do because i spend so much time to it you know i think it's very well known that korean like idols can't date each other you know i think that's where a lot of these things come from you know but but like these label companies they do have a dating ban universal dating ban like and then like i don't know if it happens these days but back in my days the label companies would like take your phones away so then you won't be able to like text 
whoever. You know what I mean? It was very strict. I don't know if it's still like that, but it used to be like that just so that they could like protect that persona that Stephanie talked about. Like you're this imaginary boyfriend or imaginary girlfriend that like these middle school girl things that you are. So you need to like protect that image. I think that's where it, it like, you wow. know, it all comes from. After the break, we're going to talk a little bit about how these K-pop stars are made, the actual recruitment of talent, the development of the talent, how they get to become uh, Korean pop stars and idols. And uh, we'll see if it's if it's too late for a 44-year-old black man to go <laughs> register for one of those K-pop <laughs> academies and see if I got the moves. It's beyond the scenes. We'll be right back. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash news. That's LifeLock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Beyond the scenes, we are talking about the world of K-pop here. What I would love to do define K-pop as a genre as because me, ignorant American man from Birmingham, Alabama, didn't meet my first Korean until the eighth grade. Um, which is a that's a true statement, by the way. I I fell in love with a group called Epic High. <gasps> so wow. my introduction to K pop was FIFA video games back in the day. My introduction to just international music as a whole was video games. The music they would play in the in the menu when you're choosing your team and making modifications to your squad. That's how I learned about most music that they do not play on traditional terrestrial radio in America. And so Epic High had this song called Fly. Fly High. And it was so optimistic. Yes, I love and that beautiful song. and aspirational. I didn't know what they were I still don't know what they was talking about in the verses. But when they got to the hook, it was so beautiful you can fly higher higher than the birds in the sky oh and then i watched the video and the video for this song is a robbery and a man's carjacking and eventually the man is killed by a police sniper at the end of the video it is the darkest dichotomy of optimism and hopelessness wow. and it was beautiful that's what made it so beautiful 
And then I go to talk to one of my friends, like like years later, hey, K-pop, the K-pop. I go, yeah, I like Epic High. And I go, that's not K-pop. Yeah. I'm like, well, that's not hip-hop. But it's Korean. <laughs> it and is it Korean. Be, and I've never felt more like an accidental racist in, 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 the, in a moment. <laughs> so let's just straight up define K-pop as a genre as it differs from every other type of music that comes out of Korea so I don't sound stupid. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's... It Epic High is hip-hop artist. So, like, if you tell some, like, Epic High fans, I do believe they have their own names, too. Okay, fan club. well, I'm going to join that group. I know I'm a little late to the party. But then but... if you tell their fans that they're K-pop, they would be offended because they're above K-pop. Like, they're real artists. Now, I think gotcha. that sense where it comes from is because when you become K-pop idols, this label companies, like, signs you a trainee contract, which I don't think it exists in America. Like, for example, like, in America, I think you just upload a video on YouTube, you singing, and then somebody sees you and they sign you, and then you become an artist, more or less. Mm -hmm. In Korea, you have to go to, like, this training school, and they made you sign a trainee contract where they you have to follow whatever they tell you to do, whether that's taking Chinese class, whatever, like, English class, philosophy class, dance class, music class, or, like, going on a diet, and I'm going to check your weight every week, all that, maybe some of the dark so stuff. So boot camp. Exactly. So, like, a lot of idols go through that process. And then this big label companies, they also have, like, a concept of, like, oh, the next idol group that I'm going to make, it's going to be five cute girls wearing school uniforms talking about their first love, like, innocence. So, like, even if that's not who you are, if you signed this training contract and you became part of this group like you're going to be that like that's your image going forward mm -hmm. like are you following me what yeah, i'm saying I so but that. like epic epic High was not that you know like they were it's a creative autonomy from the jump exactly so okay. i think i think that's that's the difference talk a little bit if you can stephanie just about the idea of because you're going into these academies you you got to be going like i would imagine somewhere between 10 to 12 years old to come out 13 to 14 mm -hmm. polished so we can get a good 10 year runway out of you you know as an artist how much you know in america we talk about the idea of child stars and not knowing how that corrupts the psyche of a child on the backside of it when they're done with stardom and they're 28 and trying to figure out what the hell they want to do in there they're finally not famous for the first time in their life how much of a kid's childhood are they sacrificing to these camps? How much of your youth are you trading in exchange for this attempt at being a huge global megastar? When they're too young, when they're preteen, uh, the companies wouldn't sign idol training uh, contracts because that they're too young. Um, they might change their dreams. You don't know. They only sign training contracts right before they make their debut. So right before, you know, they when they already invest in all the album production and you know they already have the debut the so-called debut team um but until then usually um these trainees spend um as short as six months and as long as eight years um you know if if you make your debut in a pretty late uh, age at 20 or 22 you know, in terms of childhood, I, I actually get lots of questions from mass media, especially from Western mass media, you know, how abusive the K-pop system is. Um, do they even have childhood? And I, I, you know, tell them back, 
you know, is this exceptional in K-pop though? You know, in all fields across performing arts and and sports, like what kind of system allows you to sleep well, eat well, you know, do all the things that you want to do and still be the best. So I'm not saying that, you know, the, the, the there's a trade off regardless of genre. I'm not saying that the environment is not abusive, but I would say that, you know, it's, it's, it's the problem of the system. So do we ever talk about and also the perspectives that Western mass media brings into K-pop? Do we ever talk about diet plans of the horrible diet plans of ballerinas? Do we talk Ooh. about you know, yeah. marathon or other Olympic athletes' uh, daily routine of you know practicing, or 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 um, pianists, famous pianists, you know, practicing for like six, seven hours a day. Like, isn't that abusive? How can we never talk about that? You know, um, well, because that's American. We don't talk about American yeah. stuff. We got to criticize because you're already else. very used to it. So you know. Ta-da! All of a sudden, you know, you you find this new thing called K-pop. It's a new performing arts, and you know, like these kids are so abusive. They're going to this boot camp, you know, uh, harassed by the adults. But it, you know, it's not a yes or no question. But it, it would be more about then, you know, how do adults within this industry, uh, what kind of what kind of efforts do they put in to protect uh, these trainees at best. And um, I would say for the company, um, they arrange all the, you know, once they, they move to the dorm, uh, which is often close to the company building, they would, you know, rearrange all the school, uh, new schools, and then also, you know, sometimes if it's needed, then the trainees would, you know, the, the companies would provide um, lessons for for the trainees' schoolwork. And then they're also allowed, not allowed to, you know, practice during the nighttime, but then there are always legendary stories of, you know, successful idols sneaking into the company building, you know, at night and then like wait until the guard leaves and then, you know, practice all day long, uh, <laughs> all, all night long. Another thing I want to bring up is why is this narrative of the so-called the dark side of K-pop. You know, if you Google the dark side of K-pop compared to the dark side of American pop, you'll find nothing from by Googling the dark side of American pop, but you'll find tons of English articles that is entitled the dark side of K-pop talking about the abusive environment of K-pop. And I would rather want to ask, you know, then how come this abuse narrative is so popular? And how come this abusing system is so transparent in K-pop? Because, you know, this is not new in any child labor industry. Correct. Also in American pop industry, you know, we've seen um, Free Britney, Mickey Mouse Club. But I think therein lies the difference in the coverage of the two abusive systems is that within the Korean system, I would argue that there is an entity. There is a governing body. There are three labels. There is an actual building where you can go and go rah, 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 rah. 
for every failed childhood actor in America, for every musician that burned out from a rigorous tour schedule at 12, 13 years old. I did morning radio, hip hop radio for almost 14 years. Saw them all come through, all the 13 and 14 year old rappers and saw them all burnt out at seven o'clock and no kid should be up this early to do media on a regular basis. But because in America there is no academy for rap, there's no place for a parent to go and drop off their child for a, a couple of months to live in a dorm to learn how to rap. You just rap around at the local club, a label guy sees you. So the system is more, it's more jello. So it's hard to really concretely identify who's wrong and who's the who's the person to finger wag at. And I think that's why the coverage is, there's such a disparity, you know, in the coverage. You know, I, I don't know if you have an opinion on that or not, Sabrina, but I just think that in America, because there is no formal system system like, like that no totally yeah even influencer culture in this country which i think is net negative in the greater good of you know what some of these kids are going through and what their fans are consuming that's not even really regulated by our governments at all mm-hmm. you know whereas in korea i know they're like introducing it into after school care and they're trying to figure out ways to mm-hmm. hey let's tiptoe into this in ways that aren't necessarily going to the big bad government building so like i just i just think that that's probably why it's not as much of a coverage because if you were to write the same article about the american child labor entertainment industry who would you point the finger at who is the right who is the person like it's all kaiser sosa everywhere Mm -hmm. but nowhere type of stuff totally yeah. You made a great point. It, it, I would say it's more of the problem of the system. Um, yes. And the good and bad thing about that is that, you know, it's really hard to change the system. At the same time, it can be expanded into a an issue of legislation and more of yes. a discussion of the entire industry. Well, after the break, um, I want to talk a little bit about my experience with the wonderful group ESPA, uh, who made a visit to the States. And uh, we also want to get into the economics of this. We're bringing it home, talking about K-pop. Let me go and Google um, this uh, Epic High fan group so I can pay $12 and get an Epic High poster. I'm a 44-year-old man. This is beyond the Wait, scenes. Wait, I need to Google that, too. My best friend will kill me if I don't remember their names. <laughs> I got to check if Kai sent me bubble messages. (laughs) (laughs) Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. When you have health insurance, it's easy to think, I'm covered, no worries. Well, not so fast. Remember, your out-of-pocket costs are not covered by insurance. That can be a lot of money for your family. But how do you know you're not being overbilled? It's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. Unless you're a billing expert, how do you know your medical bills are accurate? HealthLock can help. 
HealthLock is a healthcare technology company that securely connects with your insurance. When your medical claims come in, HealthLock technology reviews the claim for errors like overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. HealthLock makes it easy to find and fix hidden errors, so you pay only what you owe. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. Bottom line, insurance alone isn't enough. To save, visit HealthLock.com. Do it today before you see another healthcare provider. That's HealthLock.com. Beyond the scenes, we are bringing it home, talking about K-pop. Stephanie, Sabrina, thank you for educating me mm-hmm. and also allowing me to embarrass myself <laughs> by saying that I thought a Korean hip-hop group... No, but I was impressed you know Epic High. Yes, that is the only song I know. I have not had an opportunity to Google other things. Oh, I Googled it. It was High School. High Schoolers. Yes, that's okay. the name of their fans. All right, well, yes. then I'll be a high You're schooler. You're a high schooler. I'll take that. Okay. Um, I also only knew of BTS because of Saturday Night Live. And the second song they did on SNL, uh, Boy With Love, mm. I was like, oh, no, that's a jam. Oh, no, no, no. I was that's like, yeah, song. that's a jam. Yes. And then I started playing it on Beat Saber on my VR headset, and now I'm in love with that group. Um, I, I had an opportunity to do a field piece with the group Espa, who I'll be honest in saying, Stephanie, I did not necessarily know a lot about before the piece. When I was told I was doing the piece, you know, you go do your research so you can mm-hmm. learn a little bit. And the more I listened to their music, the more I felt right in not having known it. 40-year-old black guy, not their genre. Pretty sure <laughs> that wasn't their target right. demo when no. they got in the studio <laughs> to play a track. So. <laughs> uh, but but we're, we're out on this double-decker bus. We're shooting footage and stuff, right? And I've been out with American celebrities, right? And this is also a compliment to the fan, to K-pop fandom, right? American fans... I believe tend to want a little more than just a photo. They want a moment. They want to say, how you mm-hmm. do, how the kid, what's your face? How long you gonna be in New York? Yeah. Man, that's a double-decker, but do you like double-decker? Mm-hmm. But all right, can I get a picture? Whereas what I saw with Espa was fans come up, they do their little peace sign, Espa do the peace sign back, and wherever they were, they were on top of a bus taking selfies with strangers on the sidewalk, and the strangers angling the camera up to get the selfie, and... It was almost understood, like to your point about, I don't want to bother you at dinner, so I'm just going to sneak a photo, where it was understood, this is not an opportunity for us to have a conversation, but I'm still going to give you this moment. And the fans understood that it needs to be brief. And it was just like every block, four or five photos between setups, and the fans were just so appreciative and waving and just shooting B-roll footage. Like, I'm just amazed at that level of just connectedness Mm -hmm. in how brief it was how brief and how profound it was do you learn that at the at the at the korean k-pop school academy of music and fandom stephanie or is that just a skill set that's developed over time i think um fans have been developing how to interact with their idols and of course, there are, you know, the crazy ones. Uh, fans call them saseng. Saseng comes from the term uh, saseng which means privacy. So someone who invades 
idols' privacy, you know, the stalkers. Uh, but fans always distance themselves uh, from Sasang, and you know, the real fans uh, would learn how to respect idols' schedules and privacy, and that's how you know. And also, like these days, everything is filmed and will be on social media, and that really represents the reputation of the fan club. So fan clubs are also very much aware of uh, how to maintain their own reputation uh, and gain respect on social media. So um, I think it's, it's it comes from respecting the idol and also from respecting yourself. Sabrina, how much has K-pop's global economic impact benefited the country of South Korea? Wow. Um, I mean, I was thinking about this this morning. When I moved to the States and you were to tell me like some K-pop idol were going to be on SNL or like this podcast going to talk about K-pop or like they're going to go on morning shows, like, you know, some late night shows, I would have laughed at you. Like, I would have not believed you, you know, like <laughs> when I moved here, I still listened to a lot of K-pop and watched a lot of K-dramas and, you know, all that stuff. But like, I never dis actively discussed that with my American friends because like, why would I? They, ne they would never understand. You know, they don't know <laughs> what it is. Nowadays, like people, like you know, Stephanie said, like people come up to me and be like, "Oh, do you know Blackpink? Do you know this? Do you know this?" So, like, from a very personal point of view, I think it had a very positive impact of like Americans and a lot of international, just you know, global people like cur more curious about this small country called Korea. You know, like, but you know, I feel like. A lot of the time when you think of Asia, a lot of people would think of like China or Japan. But now I feel like Korea also became like kind of like a big name that everyone kind of all of a sudden associates with Asia and then like are very curious about it. So I think it's very positive impact. And also, you know, like this year, Netflix announced that they're going to have like the biggest ever lineup of K-drama. So like that's not K-pop, but it's still part of like this. It's all part of the culture. It's all part of the culture. And yeah. all of a sudden Netflix is like doing the biggest lineup and investing all this money in K-drama show that's, you know, going to air globally. So I think it's, I personally love it. And I think it's great because now I, can, I don't even need to convince my friends <laughs> to watch, my American friends to watch it. They just watch it and talk to me about it. Yeah, I think what what makes it really interesting to me, Stephanie, is because, you know, as an American, we traditionally think of ourselves as the factory of entertainment mm -hmm. for the rest of the world. But now Korea, the, the curator, they're not the consumers, they're the curators. So I would imagine that has to be good for tourism and shit and making people at least want to maybe go see a K-pop concert in Korea instead of going to Atlanta. Definitely. Uh, not just for concert tours, but I see lots of international students, college students coming to Korea during the summer or, you know, spend their whole year in Korea. Um, you'll see lots of young generation uh, coming to Korea and learn more about Korean culture. And then I also see lots of young uh, international YouTubers who are, you know, talking about um, Korean culture in Korea while they live in Korea. Now, as you research, you know, your your forthcoming book about the global impact of K-pop stardom, Stephanie, what's changed and what stayed the same over the years uh, in this genre of music in terms of fandom? The market has become broader 
than before. At the same time, I also see some political changes. I, I think it's not just a problem of K-pop, but because of the the current uh, changes in in global politics, um, I see also you know more conflicts of uh, ethnic nationalism and xenophobia in international K-pop fandom as well. You know. Mm-hmm. Coming from a Korean fandom, but also from other translocal fandoms as well. How much does social media play a role in in that political influence? You think, in the sense of most musicians don't want to get into politics or no. political issues across all genres. Right. They just want to make music, but then as your fans become more you know, suppressed or dealing with injustices. And I think that globally political movements are more connected because of social media. So if there's something like if you look at, say, Stop Asian Hate in the States, which I imagine doesn't have the same level of gravity in Korea because it's just a different environment. But if an Asian artist is coming over here to perform for for predominantly Asian audiences, they might go, yo, man, we need you to say something about the bullshit. So... Are you finding, are you all finding that more groups now are even within the parameters of what still keeps them within, without choosing a side? Because I always feel like there's the politicians and then there's the issue and there's the issue that's hurting the people. Like, like do you at least see them, do you see more artists now at least speaking about the issues? I would think so, but I think it depends on certain topics. Like, for example, like BTS was invited to the White House and talked about Asian hate, I think, a year ago or two years ago. Two years ago. Well, I thought it was a little sus because they're not Asian Americans. Like you said, in Korea, like everyone's Korean, so there's no Asian hate. If there's hate, it's just hate, you know, Korean crime on Koreans, you know? Yeah. But the White House decided to invite BTS to talk about Asian hate, which I don't think they ever experienced because they don't live in this country, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. But they were brave enough to talk about it. And I think just to see Asian K-pop, this group at the White House, I think had like a lot of gravity to to a lot of fans out here in America. So I would say like they do speak up that kind of stuff. But like I would, Stephanie, correct me if I'm wrong, but I wouldn't think they would like, like how Taylor Swift is very anti-Trump, right? Like I don't think any of the BTS members or any of the K-pop idols would be like, oh, I hate the current president right now in Korea. Like I don't think anyone would be that. Yeah, I don't think. Yeah, I don't. Many American artists wouldn't be until their Taylor Swift stadium status, anyway. Like, but just that sense of speaking about an issue that may be a lightning rod for their fan base. Like it might be such that they're. But if if you're an Asian American. Does seeing them at the White House trying to stir it up make you then feel like, oh, well, the administration won't listen to me, Joe Blow, the voter. Right. But they might listen to BTS, mm-hmm. which is sad to say. It is very <laughs> sad to say. Um, but I think, yeah. What do you think, Stephanie? Are they, are, is there a little bit more of a political lean in terms of just issues, not politics, but not politicians? But do you see more of a conversation around issues from a lot of K-pop artists today versus... You know, if we're talking about what's different from then versus now. I think that Korean entertainment industry in general really um, gets away from, you know, making political statements. Entertainers should remain as, you know, someone who would entertain people 
without any political bias. So I think it's not just for K-pop idols, but for you know actors. Actors are, I think, a bit more. You know, they they make a bigger voice when it comes to politics, but with yeah. idols, definitely not. But I see how they are trying to give positive influence through a more universalized issues, such as you know, peace, love, and justice. You know, speak yourself, love yourself. So you're not you know leaning toward a specific political goal, but rather you know they're giving the seed uh, of activism to the translocal. Uh, communities. And let's end on a question about change. If we're talking about where K-pop was and where it is now, I'm not going to say his name, but I know of a I know of a white dude personally who moved to Korea to seek out a career in K-pop um, probably about seven, eight years ago. How are non-Asian aspiring K-pop artists I don't want to say treat it, but how hard is it to merge into that? Like, do y'all have an Eminem yet? Like, who is the non-native person of that music genre? Does that analogy yes, even make it sense? Makes sense? I don't it makes know. Sense. Maybe Lisa <laughs> from Blackpink. She's Thai. So maybe okay. some Americans might think she's Korean because she looks Asian, but she's not Korean. I guarantee you a lot of Asians. I'm sure. A lot of Americans. Let me educate she's you. She's not Korean, although she's fluent in Korean and English and like obviously she like you know she's from thai so she speak thai as well but is that something that could have even dared to have happened 15 years ago 15 years ago 15 20 let's go 20 how, like how much is that like the how, first generation i mean clearly it's accepted the, the group is a hit right so it's not like people hate her because she's thai but no. in terms of the evolution of it becoming more multicultural and becoming more K-pop not necessarily being solely the property of Koreans anymore, or it's not something, there are other people in the sandbox now. Do you see that evolution continuing, Stephanie? Yeah, there was also a first uh, black K-pop idol, Alexandra, I think. Um, oh, yeah, send me her. We're going to celebrate uh, her during Black History Month. There are little uh, changes in K-pop but you know, as far as K-pop will sustain uh, relying on the, the the cultivation of intimate relationship between idols and fans, it will be more of a problem of how much this non-Korean idol can communicate well with yeah. the local fans first, the Korean fans, nice. who, whom you will meet almost every week or every month during your promotion activities and um, a lot of companies offer Korean language lessons so I don't think it has been a problem um, but it will be more about the cultural proximity that you feel uh, to to non-Korean idols but at the same time I also see how like more and more companies are really focusing uh, you know overseas market you know they don't just reside in korea but they you know same with bts they focus more on overseas market and that's how you know they they stretch out um beyond korea so 
I see a lot of potentials, but there will be definitely more conflicts and negotiations going on. So I get what you're saying, Stephanie. The idea of other cultures and other races entering into K-pop and their success within it just still boils down to their ability to connect with the fan base. Yeah, but also with the lack of multicultural experience with Korean society, that will be also... It's still changing, but... You know, it's it's really still very new to Korean society. The Korean government um, launched its multicultural agenda only by 2006. So only by then they started to recognize this, you know, multicultural uh, population mm-hmm. in Korea. So it will be late, but I would also expect more voices coming from, you know, international fans and uh, non-Korean residents in Korea. Um, so we'll see. I mean, Korea is always you know, changing fast, so who knows? Well, we look forward to the book, Breaking It All Down. I think that's all the time we have for today. Stephanie, Sabrina, thank you all for going beyond the scenes with me. Thank you. Thank you. Listen to The Daily Show Beyond the Scenes on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Wherever. Explore more shows from The Daily Show Podcast universe by searching The Daily Show wherever you get your podcasts. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central, and stream full episodes anytime on Paramount+. Plus. This has been a Comedy Central podcast. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org.